आवाज.com दिस इज द मॉर्निंग ब्रीफ फ्रॉम द इकोनॉमिक टाइम्स प्रोड्यूस्ड इन कोलैबोरेशन विद आवाज.com एंडिंग मंथ्स ऑफ नेगोशिएशंस प्राइवेट इक्विटी ग्रुप केकेआर्स इंडियन एनपीएफसी इज गेटिंग मर्ज्ड इनटू इनक्रेड अ 5 ईयर ओल्ड स्टार्टअप आदर पुनावाला अ फार्मा बिलियनर just took a big bite of magma finance a shadow bank from kolkata that incidentally also had kkr as an investor some time ago after the rather controversial tour de four diwan housing found a new home in piramal as well the list is long canadian alternative asset manager brookfield also thought this is a good play becoming a co-promoter in indostar some months back and suddenly flushed with funds indostar says that it is now eyeing other stressed nbfcs to bulk up so is consolidation the answer to fix shadow banks as regulatory scrutiny heightens in the space we will seek answers in this podcast from a panel that is far more clued on from the economic times i'm orijit parman and you're listening to the morning brief To discuss the issues threadbare, let me welcome Sridhar Sivaram, Investment Director of Enam Holdings. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Joining Sridhar is Krishnan Sitharaman, Senior Director, Crystal Ratings, who has just come out with a report where the headline screamed, "NBFC stressed assets may hit rupees one point eight lakh crore by fiscal end." And of course. we have et's saikad das who has been extensively covering the space once again welcome everyone saikad let me come to you first finally the kkr incred merger is happening good news i guess for both because um one is getting an exit the other will get to diversify its uh, its loan book but most people however are calling it a marriage of convenience really indeed it is a marriage of convenience but in the right earnest now kkr was primarily more of an institutional uh, approach while incred was i mean for a retail uh, tag when you say institutional you mean they were more focused on corporate loans yeah may have focused on corporate loans and in incred it is exactly the opposite so this retail and institutional now they are coming together makes sense because kkr especially we saw rating downgrades a string of exits so yeah all all well probably that ends well but suddenly uh, you know the, the beginning of the week we also saw uh, magma uh, uh, you know getting a new deep pocket investors you know you've been covering nbfcs uh, i mean for for quite some time now i thought nbfcs were history but suddenly there's a investor interest what's really happening many many people wrote the an obituary of nbfc after since uh, ilfs since uh, since uh, dhfl we we saw the uh, borrowing cost skyrocketed uh, you know people were quite averse of uh, subscribing uh, nbfc papers uh, the regulator had to come out with a lot of uh, liquidity windows but you know there the potential is still there our banking system is not omnipresent in this country it's next to impossible how do you judge 
a small time trader sitting some corner in the Coimbatore or some corner in Mushirabad. It's extremely impossible. That is where the expertise of NBFCs come in. They interact with the local people. They know that this XYZ, how, how do they earn? Because they, they have tea with them. They have snacks with them. For a banker, it's next to impossible. You cannot erase the role of NBFC in a country like India, as diverse as India. Correct. But you've got to fix them, I guess. Sridhar, if I can come to you. You agree? You think uh, consolidation is that magic wand or you know the panacea? NBFC does have a role. But it's a very specialized and uh, very niche uh, lending proposition. And it is not easy for everybody to succeed. What we saw earlier was that because of the way market caps of NBFCs were going, every Tom, Dick and Harry wanted to start an NBFC. And then we had a lot of issues because it's easy to you know build a book. Uh, it's very difficult to collect that. Uh, so lending is the easiest part. You can build a book of 5,000 crores. The trouble is when you start to figure that, you know, collection is, is very difficult, which is why some of the, you know, the niche NBFCs take Sriram or Mahindra or Bajaj, they have built a niche for themselves. And their whole niche is about how the collection efficiency works and how they manage the risk. So consolidation, as you mentioned, is going to be a, a very key uh, part of cleaning up of the NBFC because we have too many NBFCs and many of them don't come with the knowledge of what is required to run a successful NBFC. So what we will see over the next few, year, few years is that NBFCs who cannot raise capital will actually fall by the wayside. Some of them will merge as we are seeing based on the report that you printed in ET today. And, and, and some will uh, you know, sell off to whoever uh, is there to buy, which is what we saw with one of the other NBFCs that you mentioned. But don't you think that perhaps a better way, yes, I mean, the smaller ones uh, are fringe players and probably they'll perish first. But a better way, perhaps, for the larger NBFCs is to nudge them, you know, to convert to banks. Because while remaining as NBFCs, they will continue to be wholesale funded, considering there are caps on deposits and other regulatory issues. So I think that is definitely going to happen. I mean, take an example of, of say, Bajaj. They're already touching, say, close to 2 lakh crores. Uh, as you continue to grow at 25-30%, you will reach a, a situation where liability becomes a key concern. So if you discuss with uh, Bajaj and in many of the open platforms, they have already mentioned that they are considering. I mean, it is there on, on the table. Also, we have seen a successful conversion of, say, uh, IDFC First Bank is one of the examples where uh, Capital First merged and now the entire uh, bank is run quasi-NBFC, but with the fact that the liability profile of that NBFC significantly improved. And I think that will become a model for others to follow. So I think there has to be a roadmap that once you become uh, a say XYZ uh, you know, uh, asset book, it, it is going to be uh, systemically dangerous if you continue to run as an NBFC. As we saw during the uh, ILFS crisis, that even the best of NBFCs did face challenges uh, as far as liability profile was concerned. Correct. Christian, uh, you have been talking about or, or rather tracking or mapping the stress that has been built up over many months. And ILNFS, of course, took it to another uh, level. Is the continued stress largely uh, on account of the pandemic, 
and 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 we are seeing it playing out or um and have we really seen the stress play out especially in consumer facing i mean retail vehicle loans or even gold loans a lot has been written about wholesale and and real estate or hfcs but are other stress points also uh, becoming more and more severe so if we look at uh, nbfcs in india over the last say 25 years or so they have had their fair share of up cycles and uh, down cycles and uh, if if we look at uh, at the turn of the century uh, their aum assets under management of private sector nbfcs in india were sub 2 lakh crores currently it is close to 25 lakh crores so while they have uh, faced their fair share of up, up cycles and down cycles and we've also seen some entities go out of business but as a industry as a sector their trend line has been uh, continuously moving up over a longer period of time it was slowly starting to stabilize by the end of uh, calendar year 2019 and uh, the q4 of fy20 but then the covid-19 pandemic struck and that again aggravated the issue extended the challenges that the nbfc faced in the immediate aftermath or the immediate onset of covid-19 the issue was more around liquidity we believe that by the end of march 31st this fiscal the stress assets uh, would be in the range of around 6 to 7% of the aum of nbfcs in terms of their uh, if the question is around their existence or do they face an existential crisis i would say no uh, nbfcs have a major role to play in india's credit ecosystem even today their uh, share is 70 to 80% of the landscape yes some entities uh, uh, may have to close operations or fall by the wayside but the sector as a whole uh, if they are contributing a fifth close to a fifth of the credit uh, uh, in the indian landscape The, the, that's a, a, a big a big space so that will continue to exist and they will have their up cycles and down cycles and currently we see uh, they in the midst of a down cycle but would you say krishnan that the recent the draft guidelines that the rbi has come up with would ease the overhang somewhat for some of the nbfcs at least because it tried to plug the regulatory arbitrage in some cases sure so the way i look at these draft guidelines are uh, they are structurally positive for the sector and they will enhance the perception of the market participants whether it is lenders investors to this sector as a whole there is in many quarters some element of apprehensions about the way nbfcs operate that will tend to get addressed to an extent by these guidelines that apart there are a lot of uh, governance and disclosure level enhancements uh, in in the, in these draft guidelines and they are segregating nbfcs into the various uh, buckets and in some of uh, the, these buckets especially the uh, higher uh, upper level there is a common equity uh, capital threshold as well so nbfcs have to ensure that that, that is in place second you wanted to ask a question is as the has krishnan answered or you you want to no i wanted to ask him uh, maybe both of the guest you know uh, during the course of dhfl i had a, i had several interactions with common depositors uh, common bond investors what they could not digest some 3 4 years ago dhfl came out with an retail issuance which got record number of bids for to raise 4000 crore they got bids worth of rupees 19000 crore if i remember correctly the same bond went burst 
and it was traded in the secondary market as high as 80% and 85%. So what went wrong? Was it limited to this particular management or was it a kind of industry volcano waiting to be erupted? Whom do you blame first? Sridhar, you want to go first? Yeah, I have very strong views on this. To start with, I will actually defer with Krishnan that the new HFC guidelines, uh, the disclosure norms have been increased. I'm actually very disappointed. One of the biggest asks as far as HFCs was concerned was uh, disclosure of restructured assets. It is not very well documented, but HFCs are allowed to restructure assets, specifically the real estate assets. And uh, if you see what happened with DHFL, one of the biggest issue with DHFL was that they had a large pool of builder restructured assets, which were never disclosed. So when I look at the draft, this new guidelines which has come, they have again cut paste the same as before. So they, they can restructure builder assets and need not disclose to any of the participants, including the bank. I'm not even very sure whether they disclosed to Crystal. Uh, because the data was never out. And if you see, DHFL continuously disclosed NPS closer to 3.5%. And the actual number was 40%. I'm sure in another few years' time, because there is uh, you know irrational exuberance coming back again, uh, everybody wants to get into NBFCs and HFCs. In three, four years' time, we'll see another round of uh, issues. So unless the disclosure norms are the same as banks, why give HFCs a, a, a better disclosure norm or lesser disclosure norm. In fact, it should be tighter. They should be disclosing more than the bank. But you're saying that in your mind, the NBHC crisis is more like an HFC crisis. Correct. Because majority of the crisis happened with, uh, uh, with companies which were predominantly HFC. So the larger part of the problem was uh, actually with the HFC. And it came from the fact that the regulatory uh, uh, arbitrage in HFCs was very high. Disclosure norms were poor, which continue to be poor. So I think there is a lot of uh, real estate uh, NPAs which are hiding under the restructured asset of uh, HFCs, which they don't need to disclose because that's that is the rule and that is the uh, you know RBI rule new also. So I, I don't understand why would RBI want to do something which is so different from what they are doing for the banks. Correct, Krishnan. That's a fair point, right? So I, I would put it this way that if you look at the regula regulatory evolution over time, that has becoming gradually stringent over time. So if you go back a few years, NPFCs are recognizing NPAs on a 180-day uh, basis. That has uh, been slowly bought into 90. Now even the smaller NBFCs have to declare it on a 90-day basis. If you look at some of the board the constitutions, the auditor-related matters which have been bought up, so these are all steps which are which will uh, strengthen the level of governance at NBFCs, and it's an ongoing process. I'm not saying that this is the be all and end all. So as against where we were, maybe year back, things are on the way up. Maybe th things will need some more tweaking uh, as we move ahead. The other part about uh, NBFCs is we need to look at it on a sectoral basis. Yes, there have been cases which have defaulted. There have been NPAs, but if you look at the last 25 years in a in a bank's balance sheet. And see what 
a proportion of NPAs have come in from the NBFC sector, it will be well below that in the other sectors. So if you look at the infrastructure sector or the power sector or steel sector, you will see more NPAs in the banking books as compared to NBFCs. It may be unfair to paint the entire sector with the same brush is what I would say. Each of these entities will have their own nuances and processes that they follow. Understood. But you talk about bank NPAs uh, being relatively low from the NBFC space. but NBFCs did move away a bit from the bank, relying more on short-term CP markets, mutual funds, insurers, and that causes the systemic risk, isn't it? Because, and now, even now, I mean, I see, uh, you know, this euphoria about, for example, H&I financing uh, during IPOs. There is a line on uh, in the RBI draft document uh, which states that the regulator is keeping a close eye. Uh, so. So it's somewhere, Christian, it seems that people don't learn. <laughs> that, 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 that is uh, definitely uh, an issue across sectors. I, I will not say that is a matter of NBFC sector. Any sector, if you look at upturns and downturns, people will become risk covers, very conservative, uh, adopt a risk-off uh, approach when there is a downturn. But the moment there is an upturn, uh, the risk averseness goes away, you adopt a risk on approach and that is uh, a, a part of any uh, sector. The debt capital market uh, investors are very sensitive to developments in the sector. They may come in and may go out at a quick pace. Bank funding is a more a stable source of funding. Understood. But Sridhar, you know, how about, you know, you, you talked about your disappointment and, and the challenges that HFC still uh, face. How about creating a land bank? Are these kind of solutions uh, the way out? You know, I think the easier solution is is to allow uh, bank financing for land also. The other thing, I, I today it's not allowed. So then they have to find other ways of funding, which which includes NBFC, which includes some HNI funding. Uh, and, and the other thing is this whole fetish about you know land bank for builders. So I mean. I remember in 2007, when DLF came for the IPO, they came and presented that we have 15 years of land bank. And I said, look at the China model. They keep two years of land bank. They just make a, a project completed. They uh, sell the whole project, move on to the next one. Why do you want to you know, block your capital and hold land for 15 years? What are you trying to do? So I think it is, it is a question of business model. There are successful business models where you just buy the land make a good property and that gives confidence to investors but uh, there are easier ways to solve this rather than creating a land bank i think one is uh, giving them funding the other thing i find is that the government's uh, uh, you know the uh, whole pmay which is the pradhan mantri awas yojana is actually a very good scheme where you're giving subsidy on the interest rate so actually you're incentivizing people to buy but unfortunately based on the data that i have from nhb uh, and only about 20-25% of the eligible people are claiming the uh, subsidy. But, uh, you know, there are many challenges, but I think the other ways to Yeah, there are other ways to do it. I think uh, funding of developers is the most optimal approach because there are risks, there will be ALM challenges. What is needed is for that segment is patient funding or patient capital. And the AIF route, alternative investment fund route, I think that is more appropriate for channeling, uh, channelizing funding to that sector where you can get pools of patient capital and there will not be ALM related challenges. NBFCs can focus on retail funding and those kind of assets. Whereas wholesale real estate funding, probably AIFs would be a more optimal. 
the most urgent need is to reduce the risk to the financial system by forcing the real estate industry to deleverage and certainly improve disclosures confidence in counterparties won't return until the collateral woes are taken care of bite the bullet radically reform the space else we will continue to hurl from one crisis to the other hopefully the regulators are taking note one credit tap interestingly though has started to gurgle giving some cause of optimism pocket sized loans are feeding online consumption with demand coming from smaller cities and towns amounts are tiny but as digital spending grows financing it has the power to turn the page on indian lenders underwriting of soared corporate loans the source of a 200 billion dollar sigh of collective agony so large is the overhang of bad corporate debt that to suggest better model of banking will invite skepticism yet below the surface of corporate bankruptcies and failing financial institutions technology is enabling an important change maybe not tomorrow but credit will go where it is due thank you shridhar krishnan and saikat for taking time out for this very interesting conversation i've completely run out of time so i have to end here i'm arjit parman and you've been listening to the morning brief this episode was edited by john chako and coordinated by shashwat mohanty i hope you enjoyed listening to this episode we look forward to your feedback write to us at the morning brief at timesgroup.com and if you like this episode please share on your social media handles we really appreciate it the morning brief drops every tuesdays thursdays and fridays thank you for listening and have a great weekend ahead goodbye and good luck avas.com